The message you are listening to was recorded by Campus Outreach for the 2022 Campus Outreach New Year's Conference. More information about Campus Outreach New Year's Conference can be found at conycindy.com. We're going to be reading Psalm 32, and if you want to follow on the screen or in your Bibles, feel more than welcome to do so. How joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How joyful is a person whom the Lord does not charge with iniquity and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones became brittle from my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained as in the summer's heat. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not conceal my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is faithful pray to you immediately. When great floodwaters come, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with joyful shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and show you the way to go. With my eye on you, I will give counsel. Do not be like a horse or mule without understanding that must be controlled with bit and bridle, or else it will not come near you. Many pains come to the wicked, but the one who trusts in the Lord will have faithful love surrounding him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. All right. Let's, uh, oh. Thank I don't know if there was something else on the screen. Thank, oh, oh, y'all remember to greet me without me asking you. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, um, let's, let's uh, take some time just to, yeah, settle our minds and our hearts and just center ourselves. Times like this are great. You know, the energy in the room is exciting and it's fun. But just like we said this morning, as we prepare to do what it is that we're getting ready to do, we're entering into, you know, sacred space. And so it does, yeah, it may feel a little jarring. So I do just want for all of us just to take some time. We've had long days. There's probably a lot on our minds right now, uh, but we're just going to close our eyes and pray. And we're just going to, yeah, breathe first and just settle into this time that we're in right now. So let's pray. Our Father, we uh, come right now, Lord. Um, and we ask that you would uh, it just put us in the right frame of mind, the right posture. As we've reflected on your goodness through the course of these past few days, uh, we ask, oh Father, that you would uh, help us to internalize that that you would help us to respond appropriately, Father. That you would help us to remember that you, O oh Lord, are speaking uh, directly to us here, Father. There's something special that takes place when we crack open your word and do our best to say what you said in it, Father. It's as if you're speaking right to our hearts and our souls. Your spirit is here hovering over the chaos ready to bring beauty out of it. Fathers, you freed us from the chokehold of 
despair that comes in the past, I pray in our present right now, uh, that we wouldn't just know that freedom, but we would enjoy it and live inside of it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It was March 9th, um, 1842, and a man by the name of Francisco Lopez was done herding cows near uh, Placerita Canyon, California. It had been a long day and he was famished, so he set out just to try to rustle up some food from the ground. So he stumbles upon some wild onions. And as he starts to uproot them from the ground, one of the things that he sees is attached to these roots. Hugging these roots are these uh, flecks of dust that look yellow in the sunlight, but when he brings them into the shade of the tree, he realizes that they have more of a, a golden hue. Francisco Lopez went down to the ground to look for food and was digging, and he went down filthy, uh, but he actually came up filthy rich. He was the first one to discover gold in California, six years before the gold rush started. It was interesting, because after a long, hard day, he went down to the ground, and with his hands and knees in all of that dirt, he came up and his economic future was changed completely. This gold, this treasure, this joy that he had was found in the most unlikely of places. I want you to know that your joy is the same way that when it comes to joy in the life that we live, joy is not found after you've scaled some mountaintop of morality. Joy is not found out there or over there. Joy in the Christian life, walking with the Lord, is found in the most unlikely of places. The problem is you and I tend to look for joy in what we think are the most likely places. We tend to look for joy and hope and completeness in uh, compliments and accomplishments and achievement and likes and retweets and reposts. And when we spend all our time searching for it there, we find out that it really doesn't bring us all of the hope that we thought that it would. That we spend our time trying to find joy in things that we know that we should stay away from. And when we do dive headfirst in and get what we want, we find that it comes with a little more than what we wanted. And when we find ourselves drowning in that shame, I think it does one of two things inside of us, and we've talked about it before. It either produces inside of you a silence or a resilience. A silence. I said I would never do it again. And I did it again. I'm so ashamed. I don't want anybody to know. So maybe if I just don't say it out loud or acknowledge it, it'll be like it's not there. 
So I have another outburst of anger, but I'm not going to apologize for it because if I do, then I have to admit that I've done something wrong. And if I admit that I've done something wrong, that shame is enough to drown me. I'm not gonna take any steps to really work through this porn habit. I'm just gonna clear my history because if I do that, it's like it wasn't there. And you find yourself in silence, thinking that joy is gonna come on the other side of ignoring a deep problem. Some of us in here are resilient and when it comes to the dirt and the muck in our lives, we do a great job of going down and making promises and cleaning ourselves up. And we say that we're not gonna do it again and do you know what? We don't do it again and we somehow feel like our good deeds erased the past ones. But I want you to know that your actions don't work like that. Your actions work like a pen, not a pencil with an eraser. Good deeds do not erase bad ones. And when you try to mark over bad deeds with good ones, it doesn't create something beautiful. It just makes this mess. And whether it's silence or resilience, you never quite deal with the actual problem. So the Bible promises us a wholeness and a peace and a fulfillment in life, and we find ourselves just existing, not enjoying the fulfillment because we're spending all of our time trying to silence our conscience or cover a nagging conscience with good deeds and none of it works. So at the end of the day, we don't get the joy that we hoped for and we imagine that the joy that we want, that the peace that we want is on the other side of some future victory that we're yet to have. And I want you to know that you don't have to wait for joy like that. I want you to know that if you're tired of living life back and forth and not experiencing that joy or that peace, things can change for you, not just today, but right now. That's what Psalm 32 is here for. And this last talk is gonna feel a little different than the previous ones. The previous ones that I've gone through will go through the whole thing and then at the end I'll come down and somebody will come up and you'll have five minutes to reflect over what I just said. Throughout the course of this time there's going to be natural breaks in the song and we're just going to take some time like we did at the front end of this to just pause and reflect and think and to pray. I want to start off and give you the context for this song. I want you to look at these first few words. Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2 and 11 is going to say it like this. Look, how joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How joyful is a person whom the Lord does not charge with 
iniquity and in whose spirit is no deceit. Drop down there at the end. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Four times in those verses that were joy, rejoice, joy, joy comes up. And those verses, they bookend. They're the wrapping of this psalm. This psalm is a psalm of confession, but it's also a psalm of joy. It is terribly gift-wrapped, and gifts that are terribly gift-wrapped are the best kinds because you know exactly what's inside. Um, I'm a terrible gift-wrapper. Is there anybody else out here that's a terrible gift-wrapper? Yeah, so just know that if I ever get you a gift, it's going to come in the shape of what it is, all right? So if I get you a pair of shoes, I'm not going to hide it and put it in a box. I'm just going to wrap the shoes so that you don't have to guess what it is, all right? This psalm, David is a terrible gift wrapper. He's like, yo, I, I, I want to give y'all joy. And so what he says, no, no, look, look, I'm just going to wrap this in joy so that at the front end, you don't have to be scared of the contents that are on the inside. Sometimes when we talk about confession and repentance, we can feel this sense of shame and remorse, and we're afraid to go there. I don't want you to be afraid to go there. This is gift wrapped in joy, right? How joyful, how joyful, how joyful. The problem is when it comes to joy, you and I can read verse 11 and and have the wrong definition of who God's joy is reserved for. Look here at this, right? The last verse is this. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. So it says that this joy is for those who are righteous and upright in heart. And frankly, at the end of the day, when we're honest with ourselves, we don't feel very righteous. And part of the problem is when it comes to righteousness, at least as it's defined here, we've misdefined it and we think that righteousness means moral perfection. And so we feel like we're disqualified from this joy, but I want to unpack it for you. Verses 1 and 2 help us see what he means by righteousness. Verse 1 and 2 says this, look, how joyful, look, is the one whose transgression is forgiven whose sin is covered. How joyful is a person whom the Lord does not charge with iniquity and in whose spirit is no deceit. Here is a background check. This joy is not reserved for perfect law keepers. This joy is actually reserved for people who don't just sin, but who need synonyms to describe the full length of their sin. He's going to use three different words for sin. Transgression, those that go where they shouldn't. Sin, those that don't go where they should. Iniquity, that comes from the word inequity. Those who need their steering wheel aligned because it's misaligned. And when they take their hands off of it and try to drive their life straight, it always seems to drift. Me and Keith talked about this as we reflected on life. I remember when I first came to know the Lord and I started to go back home from school and I would hang with my homies and I said, yo, I'm on the straight and narrow. I'm not going to do it again. And the more time I spent, I just found myself drifting back into that pattern. The point that he's trying to bring up is, no, no, no. There's a type of joy that comes from God that is reserved 
for people that still smell like weed smoke. For people that have pending court cases. For people who would come to a conference like this and actively make plans of what they're going to do with who after this time. That there's a God so gracious that he provides this joy that there are gold nuggets of God's mercy clinging to the filthy roots. In this sense, righteousness isn't just about not having sin. Righteousness is about not having to pay for the sin that you had. There's no greater joy than waking up and seeing um, your bank account in the negative and you look at the pending charges and there's just a list of all this stuff and you call in and say, yo, yo, wait a minute, those aren't my charges. There are charges on my account. If you let them go through, it'll bankrupt me. And the bank says, oh, my bad, we're going to charge it to somebody else's account. There's a relief that comes from knowing, Dag, there was a debt that I owed on my account, and I actually don't have to pay that debt because it belongs to somebody else. This is the good news of the gospel, what takes place with our sin. The difference between our sin and the illustration that I gave is that, no, 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 we actually have run up a debt. Something that if God were to require us to pay back the debt that we owed to him, it would bankrupt us. But Jesus said, all right, God, no, those are pending charges on their account. If they go through it, they'll, bank, they'll be bankrupt. Take all of their sin and charge it to my account. And what the psalmist is saying is, no, 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 no. That's a special type of joy. It's a special type of righteousness. Not that you're perfect because of what you've done, but you've been made perfect. And I want you to know this, that that joy comes not just in forgiveness of our sins being true, but forgiveness of your sins being known. It's a tragedy. It is a tragedy and a terror to have known unforgiveness. For somebody to say to you, I'll never forgive you for what you did. That's, that's a terror. It's a tragedy to have unknown forgiveness. For somebody to say, oh, I would have forgiven you, but you just didn't know. It is a joy to have known forgiveness, and that's what we get here. And the reason why I want you, look, not just to know it, but to really know and embody it is because if you're in here and you find yourself as a perfectionist and you're making all these promises to God of all the things that you're going to do or the things that you're going to stop doing, you're putting pre-qualifiers on his love. You're not experiencing the known forgiveness that's out there. God's love is truly undefeated. And in this way, this is the point that I'm trying to make. Look, 
God's perfect joy is reserved for forgiven people, not perfect people. God's perfect joy is reserved for, hear this, forgiven people, not perfect people. So the only qualifier is this. Do you have something that needs to be forgiven? If you do, then you meet the qualifications. Nobody should stay away because they feel like God would never want somebody like me. God only wants people like you. That last line in verse 2 is going to say this, yo, that this joy comes for the person in whose spirit is no deceit. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that it comes to somebody who's perfect. It means that it does come to somebody that is just honest with where they are. I had a friend, or I have a friend, Erica Brown. Erica Brown likes to go through these uh, things at times where she'll make these declarations uh, about herself. So a few uh, months ago, a few years ago, we're at lunch, and she's like, yo, John, I'm a vegan now. And I said, uh, my condolences, sister. I'm, yeah, so, so, sorry to hear that. And so as we eat, she gets her salad and things like that, and I get these catfish sliders. So they all come out, the catfish sliders look good, and then she says, um, John, can I have one of your catfish sliders? And I said, uh, but you're a vegan. And she said, uh, no, nah, well, sometimes I eat fish. And I said, um, I don't think you get how this works, right? <laughs> that it's like if you claim the identity of being a vegan, then you have determined to remove from your diet that which was alive and that which is delicious, right? So when you made that choice, I'm sorry, you were led to believe that you could be happy and vegan at the same <laughs> time. And I hate to break it to you, but the path towards one is the path of way, right? It's like north and south, you can't go the same way. I just tried to help her see, no, no, no. You can't have both. Either shed the declaration of yourself as a vegan and enjoy the joy that comes from this or embrace that, but you've got to turn away from that. What David's saying right here is this, oh, no, no, listen. The problem is that we thought that we could be happy and hypocrites at the same time. And you can't. You've got to choose one. The path towards hypocrisy is the path away from happiness. One of the things that I'll tell you is there is no such thing in the world as a happy hypocrite. You aren't happy when you have to lie and remember the lies that you've told and work hard to make sure that you're not found out. Happiness is something that's meant to be shared. When you have a good meal, you want somebody to have a bite. When you go to a good movie, you want somebody to come in and to see it. When you hear a dope song, you, you want to invite people to share in it. If the thing that you feel like makes you the happiest is something that you have to hide, then you are not really happy. So he's saying, look, God's perfect joy for people that are tired of living that way, is reserved for forgiven people, not perfect ones. 
So the very first thing you have to do is you've got to believe the pronouncement. But then the next thing that you've got to do is you've got to trust the process. And the process is hard because it is a confusing one. It's something of a paradox. That the way up to joy is actually down. And it's all about your perspective. Perspective matters. If I were to tell you, man, last week, or if I was to tell you, yo, on Halloween day, um, a friend of mine was lying on his back unconscious and a masked man with a knife was stabbing him in the stomach and I was crying tears of joy. That would make me feel a little sadistic. But what if I told you, oh, um, the masked man was actually a surgeon with a mask. He was unconscious because of anesthesia and the knife was actually a scalpel to remove something from his stomach. It's the same details. It's a different story because there's a different perspective on it. One thing gives, reminds us that, oh, no, no, no. There is going to be pain caused to the person, but the person is a patient that needs to be healed. So the pain is actually a good thing. This is what confession is in Psalm 32. It is a scalpel. It is not God trying to punish you. Look at the process here, right? You know it's a process because verse 3 and 4 and 5 start off with when and then. And so you'll get this. Look, when I did this, God, you did that. Then I did this and you did that. The very first thing is this, God, when I was silent, you were stubborn. That ain't my phone. Whose is it? Uh, yeah, it was loud. It felt like it came out of the speakers, right? All right. When I was silent, you were stubborn. Right here, verse 3, look. When I kept silent, my bones became brittle from my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. The first thing that he wants us to see is this. Look, um, silence doesn't mean serenity. Silence doesn't mean you're at peace. Do you know it's possible to suffer in silence? Our hearts are these ventriloquists. Where our mouths don't move, but our hearts can be screaming. He's saying, my bones became brittle. God, I was silent about my sin and the bones, the strong things, the things that hold you together. He said, I felt like... I was crumbling from the inside out. The question is, why would we be silent about our sin? I think we're silent for two reasons. We're silent because of neglect. It'll go away on its own. It'll take care of itself. Or we're silent because of despair. It'll never go away on its own. Some of us here in this room are silent when it comes to the things that are plaguing our souls because we feel like it's just going to go away on its own. It's going to take care of itself. It's like a bad cold. It'll clear up in a few days. 
And it's not. And you know that it's not like that because it's been with you for years. Some of us in here are despairing that we feel like we've tried everything and it won't go away on its own. So both of those lead us to a place where we say, why bother? And we don't even make it an issue. But look at what takes place. When he was silent, when we're silent about what's wrong with us, God is stubborn. Look at verse 4. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained as in the summer's heat. God was stubborn. What he's saying is that God was placing his thumb down on the thing that hurt that you and I Sin is this internal bleeding of the soul where it ruins us from the inside out. Have you ever seen somebody that's had internal bleeding? Maybe they've had a concussion and they say, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And all it takes is somebody to say, all right, I hate to do this, but I've got to press down on the spot until you say, ouch. Because you're saying, I'm fine, and I'm saying, no, you're not. You have a concussion and say, I'm fine, I'm fine. And the doctor takes the light and he shines it in your eyes. And and he says, no, you're not. People that are fine don't respond like that to light. It's God saying, yo, the light of holiness, people that are fine don't respond like that to light. They don't try to get away. How many of you know that God will actively work against your peace of mind to restore your soul? And that is one of the most gracious things that he can do. You are not more stubborn than God. One of the practical things that you can do in your life is to make sure you surround yourself with people who know you so well that they're not um, convinced that you're okay by your silent smiles. Real friends that can look past your, I'm okay, and they can look at you and say, no, you're not, but we can get there together. At the end of verse four, there's this one word, and that one word is selah. It's this interlude in this poem or this song. It's a time for you to pause and to reflect. So right now where we are right here, I just want everybody to close your eyes. And as you close your eyes, I just want you to sit with that truth, reflect on it. Think about what is that secret sin, if anything, that I think will just go away on its own. What's the thing or things in your life that you hope nobody ever finds out about and you agonize over the possibility of it coming to light? I want you to think about how it's destroying you from the inside. 
how it is sapping the life out of you and your relationships, your ability to grow close to people and trust them? Are you tired of covering your sin with a blanket of silence? Are you tired of screaming into pillows of neglect and despair? If that's you, I want you to know that there's good news. You can open your eyes. And you can look to Psalm 32, 5. Look at what he says here. He says this, look, then, then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not conceal my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. The fifth amendment, uh, something in our Constitution and the Bill of Rights that basically gives you the privilege to cover your guilt with silence. The Fifth Amendment says, if you're guilty of a crime and you testifying against yourself will implicate you in that crime, you have the right to say nothing so as to not implicate yourself in the hopes of going free. I want you to know there is no Fifth Amendment when it comes to your relationship with God. You cannot cover any of your guilt in a blanket of silence. It doesn't work like that, but praise God that it doesn't work like that. Look at what takes place here. Look at how fully he confesses. Right? So verses 1 and 2 is this praise. Verses 3 through 5, it's not even an imperative of something for you to do. It's a testimony like we've heard here. It's him saying, no, listen, I just want y'all to hear what went on with me. And so what he says is, yo, when I kept silent, God was stubborn. But then he says this, then I confessed. Look at how fully he confesses. Look at the word repeated there. My, my, my matched with, once again, those three words for sin. My transgression. I went where I shouldn't have gone. My sin, I didn't do what I should have done. My iniquity, I was off center. What he doesn't do is blame anybody else for it. He owns it all, owns it completely. He says, I won't neglect it. I won't drown in despair. But then look here at the end. Look at all of that text taken up saying, I'll confess my sins, I'll do this, all this. And then after he does it, in the same breath, it says, and God forgave it. All of it. Just like that. What you see is how long it takes him to drum up this confession. How long and drawn of a process it is and how quick forgiveness comes from God. Confession does not mean condemnation. 
There is work for him to do, but once, once we do that work and give it to God, it says, yo, God forgave freely. In this way, confession was a push door that he treated like a pull door. Have you all ever had the unfortunate um, uh, circumstance of treating a push door like a pull door? There's a doorway to take you where you want to go. And you mistakenly go to the door and you use all your force and you pull with all of your might and you can't seem to get it open and you feel like the door is locked to you and you walk away and say the, the door is locked. I was never meant to go through. The door wasn't locked. Your approach was off. It's not a door that requires effort. It's a door that requires trust. With push doors, all you have to do is lean your weight on the door and you'll fall right through. Psalm 32, confession of sin is not a pull door. It's a push door. It's like, no, no, God, I'm going to trust you with the things about myself that I don't trust anybody with. And I trust that if I lean on you in that way, that I'll fall through this door of forgiveness into your grace. Y'all, confession is not convincing God that you're really, really sorry this time. I know it seems agonizing and brutal, but that's to confuse the destination with the journey. It may be an unpleasant journey, but it's gonna take us to the place of our dreams. It's like flying a turbulent flight to Hawaii. The journey seems tough, but once you land at the destination, you look back and say, it was all worth it. What I love is that as he lays this out, God forgives everything. We talked this morning about God being a father. One of the stories that I love in the Bible the most is Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son says, yo, pops, I wish that you were dead. I actually want to treat you like you're dead. Would you sell off uh, property and give me what comes to me? If you were to die, I'd much rather have your stuff. I don't want you at all, which is in essence what we say to God when we turn and sin. He goes and squanders it. And then he comes back and on his way back, if you read it in Luke 15, I promise this is all in there. He's getting ready to come back home with his tail between his legs. And he's like, yo, I don't know how I should apologize. So he goes to a PR agent and she says, all right, this, this is how you apologize. You gotta acknowledge what you've done wrong. You've gotta talk about how you're unworthy and you've gotta make a promise that, all right, I'm really gonna work hard and work my way up. And the funny thing is in the story of the prodigal son, he walks home and he's rehearsing it the whole way on, right? God, all right, Father, I've sinned against, have have, have been in you, all right, I've done wrong. Um, I'm unworthy to be called your son. All right, that's there. So just treat me as a slave, and now I'm going to be in. And when he comes home, he says to his dad, Dad, I've sinned against heaven and earth. He says, I'm unworthy to be called your son. And before he can make a promise 
of what he's going to do in the future, the father runs and hugs and embraces him and says, that's enough. That's all I need. Don't treat it like a pull door. It's not about your strength. It's about putting your weight in it, resting in it. Do you know why forgiveness from God, full forgiveness from God, can come so quick? It's because he knew you were coming. After this, me and Keith are going to go to a steakhouse here and have a fantastic steak. When I go to the steakhouse and I order the ribeye medium with a little side of the lobster, get a little lemon butter sauce on it, right? It's going to take 15 minutes for the steak to come out. Do you know what I don't say? I can't believe y'all killed a cow that quick, stripped it, uh, cooked it, baked it, caught the lobster. No, no, no. That's not how steakhouses work. They know people are on their way in, so do you know what they do? They prepare so that when people make a request, they can provide the sustenance quickly. This is what God has done. Before the foundations of the world, God knew that you were coming with all of your mess. And so what he did was he made a promise at the beginning of time to Adam and Eve when they realized their mess and God says, I've got you covered. That one day I'm gonna send my son into the world. And then afterwards, what God did, does is he sends his son into the world. And 2,000 years before any of us in this room were born, Jesus, the Lamb of God, was slaughtered. He died to pay the debt that we owe to God. So that when we find ourselves sitting in front of God with a debt that we can't pay, and we say, God, I own my transgression, my sin, my iniquity, and I just don't know how you're ever going to, and God says, it's forgiven. And you said, how did you do it so fast? God says, I knew you were coming. The table is set. It's prepared for you. God's perfect joy is reserved, hear this, for forgiven people, not perfect ones. And then at the end of verse 5, it's the same word. Selah. And so I'm going to ask you to do the same thing and to close your eyes and to reflect. Charles Spurgeon's going to say it like this. What a shame it would be for us to take our time, to have our eyes closed, and to remember our secret sin, but to forget our Savior. I want you to reflect on the fact that that word, God has forgiven every part of our sin. He's forgiven all the guilt of it, is a proclamation and a promise. I want you to reflect on the fact that the depths of your anguish don't compare to the depths of God's mercy. The evil in our heart is a pit with no or with with a deep bottom. God's mercy 
is a pit with no bottom. However deep you've gone, the mercy of God can swallow up that sin. What a shame to remember your sin and forget your Savior. For all of us that say, God, I confess. God says, I knew you were coming. You're forgiven. You can open your eyes. Although our friend Francisco Lopez found the first traces of gold in 1842, it wasn't until six years later where James Marshall in Sutter's Mill, California, found gold and then told people that he found gold and started to spread the news. Francisco Lopez had a discovery that remained private. James Marshall had a discovery that was shared that started the gold rush and a lot of the migration westward. Everybody grabbed shovels. David's the same way. Look here at verse 6. After he shares a testimony, now he starts to speak to us and says this, look, therefore let everyone who is faithful pray to you immediately. When great floodwaters come, they will not reach him. Look, you are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with joyful shouts of deliverance. What he says is, listen, no, no, look, everybody that's got the same thing, y'all got the same access to that great God. C.S. Lewis is going to say it like this. Friendship is born at the moment one person says to another, you too? I thought I was the only one. And what he's saying is, no, no, look, therefore, you know, if everybody finds himself in the same boat, I want y'all know, to know that we all got the freedom to come to God. And when we do that, look, God can turn into our hiding place. You remember Adam got caught in his sin and he hid from God. David saying, no, God, I confessed my sin and now I can hide in you. I don't have to hide in lies. I don't have to hide in consistent lusts. I don't have to hide behind a blunt or a bottle or behind an accomplishment. I can hide in God. And then he says this, you surround me with joyful shouts of deliverance. Little testimony about how confession is not condemnation. This is 18 years ago now. I'm 20 years old. I'm a college sophomore. No, no, this is 19 years ago. I'm 19 years old, a college sophomore. I'm at this point leading a Bible study on campus, talking a big game about God and the stuff that he wants to do in folks' lives, Um, silently smiling but internally suffering. Because 19 years ago at this time, I'm a hypocrite. Um, I was depressed after a breakup, and so I'm involved in the most inappropriate of relationships 
with a girl one night and the next day I'm leading a Bible study in my crib. It starts to eat at me on the inside. I come across Psalm 32. One of my dear friends, Richard Mullen, who's an associate pastor at my house now, was my freshman roommate. We've lived in the same neighborhoods for 19 of the last 20 years. He was there. I walk across his room and I say, Richard, I got something that I got to tell you. And I confessed it all. And I said, hey, man, when the leaders of the group come tonight, um, I'm just going to sit down and I'm going to confess to them. I've confessed to the Lord, but I've got to confess to my brothers and sisters. I just want to get it off my chest. I don't want to hide. My hypocrisy has not made me happy like I thought that it would. I knew that I could confess to the leaders because although Bible study started at 7 o'clock, um, uh, the melanin count at our Bible study was high, so punctuation was not a virtue that we valued. So I knew people would come late. 7 o'clock hits. I see a knock at the door. I look through the peephole. The first time that it took place since has not taken place since then. 20 people are at my front door. Everybody shows up on time that day. They come into the house and I say, all right, hey, listen, I was just going to tell this to this group. And I just poured out my heart and soul and I confessed to the group. And do you know what we did for the next two hours? Somebody to the next right of me said, you two? I thought I was the only one. And then the next person said, yo, you too? I thought I was the only one. And the next person said, you too, you too, you too. And for two hours, we confessed how the hypocrisy in our life had not made us happy like we thought that it would. And in confessing our sin to one another and to the Lord, we were reminded that God forgave us of that. And do you know what we were surrounded by at the end? Not condemnation of people saying you should be ashamed of yourself. But joyful shouts of deliverance. As everybody said, what an amazing God that we serve. That he knew that we were coming and he has not run out of grace. And the only reason I bring that up is because times like this are great. Right? It's fun to do this and to, you know, have a good time and spend time and to get to know one another and to play games and all that. But there's something a little more sacred that we are going to do with some of our time here that we must do with our time here. And it's saying we have an amazing opportunity. I want you to hear this. To remind those of us that have put our trust in God but are drifting that God's joy is reserved for forgiven people, not perfect ones. And it's also a great way to remind our brothers and sisters and friends that don't yet know God that they don't have to scale some mountain of morality to know God. Part of the reason why evangelism is so difficult is because our transparency is so absent. We don't let people know the real things that we Christians 
are struggling with and the real ways that God is helping us to stay afloat amongst the same tumultuous waters that they're in. If we were a little bit more transparent, I think we would have deeper relationships. I think if we have deeper relationships, then I think what we would have is that people that are willing to go deep with us and entrust themselves to us. And as they entrust their soul and bear their souls to us, we can say, oh, we're not the person with the answers. We're just the person who takes you to the person with the answers. And together we can remind people, yo, confession doesn't mean condemnation. Confession is not convincing God that you're really sorry. Confession is saying, Lord, I agree with what you say about me. I agree with what you say about you. And I agree with what you want to give to me, and that's peace and joy, and I'm going to be honest. And to the extent that we do that, I think we create environments that are primed for people to come in on their hands and knees and all of their filth and to stand up and to leave filthy rich in God's grace. God's perfect joy is reserved, not for perfect people, but for forgiven ones. And that's something that everybody in the room already meets the prerequisites for. I just pray we would respond. Let's pray. Yeah, Father, once again, we are humbled at the fact uh, not just by your ability to forgive us of our sin, but by your willingness, Father. We don't deserve it at all, but that's what makes the gift so great. We're reminded of your grace and that um, you haven't given us what we deserved as punishment for our sins. So that you can give us what we don't deserve. And that is safety and security and love and acceptance. I pray that no one here in this room would feel as if your joy is something that's unattainable, but that these ministries and these rooms would be places of transparency, humility, honestly, honesty, and in that way, they would be places full of peace and joy and grace and love and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. God, we pray that you would do the work that only you could do here today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Campus Outreach. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without written permission from Campus Outreach. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at conycnd.com.